Utah continues to experience rapid population growth from both a natural increase and in migration. In other words, we have a lot of babies and a lot of people itching to move here. This growth creates some challenges. The Utah Foundation has been looking at ways to thrive under that growth. In 2019, we published a broad-ranging report called Building a Better Beehive, Land Use Decision-Making, Fiscal Sustainability, and Quality of Life in Utah. The report identified five strategic categories to confront the challenges of growth. First, promoting efficient land use. Second, expanding transportation options. Third, preserving green space and natural assets. Fourth, preserving and improving community character. And finally, avoiding undue taxpayer subsidy of new growth. The idea is to help local governments plan for growth in a way that secures fiscal sustainability and promotes a high quality of life. So-called infill development is a valuable tool in addressing these strategic areas, either directly or indirectly. And that's the topic of a new Utah Foundation report called Filling in the Blanks, How Utah Communities Can Deploy Infill Development to Advance Quality of Life. I sat down with Utah Foundation President Peter Reichart to discuss the findings of that report. You'll hear that conversation in this edition of Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. I'm Sean Tygen. So, Peter, we have this new report out on infill. Let's start with the basic question. What the heck is infill? Well, Sean, when we think of growth, we think of usually some home builder buying an old ranch or farm and turning it into a subdivision. We picture growth as a growing civilizational footprint. So we might imagine something that was once green, like that farm, turning into something gray. Uh, now, one of our refrains at the Utah Foundation in recent years is that we need to find ways to build quality of life into growth. That phrase recognizes that, yes, growth is inevitable, but poorly executed growth is not inevitable. So with that in mind, we need to look within the existing footprint for opportunities to grow. That means looking at sites within developed areas that are vacant or underutilized. The development of these sites is known as infill. Okay, so if I'm a local policymaker, why should I care about infill? What are the benefits of infill? Okay, well, to begin with, we're in a housing crunch, and more built space within our cities and towns is often going to mean more potential housing units. Uh, we looked at trends in infill development and found that infill development, particularly multifamily housing, is making up an increasing proportion of new residential development along the Wasatch Front. So as we see that infill coming in, we do see it taking the form often of housing. Now, beyond that, you just get a more attractive city or a town center. I mean, picture the missing tooth in a Main Street block. Picture the, the worn-out strip mall with the sea of parking. Picture the downtown surface parking lot. None of those things are doing the streetscape any favors. But infill can turn those sites into dynamic local assets. In doing that, they can strengthen the local tax base. We often talk about how 
an unnecessary parking lot is just a waste of taxable space. Not to mention, you've also got kind of the knock-on benefits to the tax base from having a more attractive and dynamic cityscape. Now, we talk about quality of life. One thing that Utahns really prize is their green spaces, like those farmlands. By building within our existing envelopes, we can use our land more efficiently and take pressure off of building at that green edge of civilization. All of this, you put all this together, and it translates into improvements in overall quality of life. So why don't we have more of it? What's going on? Why is infill difficult to pull off? Communities looking to promote infill have to deal with serious obstacles. Zoning is always a challenge in development. Um, you got various site issues. You could have citizen opposition. Uh, from the developer's perspective, there's cost uncertainties. And then you have ownership issues. I mean, you have uh, people that might be just holding on to property um, for some future uh, it could be that they're keeping a surface parking lot as a form of land banking. So any of these can be challenges, but we certainly have tons of room for infill in our communities. I mean, Sean, you and I have both traveled the world a bit, lived, we both lived abroad. You know, the prettiest cities and towns in the, around the world, you look at them and then you, you realize that we're underutilizing many of our cities. We're underusing many of our cities and, and main streets and suburbs right in Utah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so agreed, Peter. So what if local governments wanted to bring in more infill? What would they maybe think about doing to smooth the way to more infill? Well, that, that really is the heart of the report. Uh, we looked at this and local policymakers, they need to start with data. They need to take an inventory of the potential infill sites. They need to gather key information on each one of those, like the ownership issues and the other challenges we just talked about and take all that and make it all publicly available. They also need to lay out the rules of the game. We're talking clear, comprehensive, and user-friendly information on what the development approval process looks like. That will broaden the audience of potential developers. Local governments might also consider creating kind of a tr fast-track approval process for these infill projects at targeted sites or in targeted redevelopment zones. Um, we do suggest creating a formal strategy. If you want to measure success in promoting infill, you can tar formally target particular zones or particular sites and then lay out strategies and actions to address those locations accordingly. We suggest prioritizing target locations based on fixed strategic criteria. So it's not just, uh, there's no favoritism involved. You, set, you, you start with your criteria and then you, you identify the sites from there. And then you share the priority areas widely with the public to make sure that the strategy that you're putting together resonates with the public. Then you have your land use laws. This is an area where you've done some work, Sean, and I'm thinking about the middle housing series earlier this year. Land use regulations are a potential challenge in any type of development. There are multiple means of recalibrating land use requirements to encourage infill. This could include things like rezoning targeted areas, creating overlay zones, employing form-based codes. Uh, and then there are the parking rules, yep. Peter. Yep, yep. Uh, minimum parking requirements on the books. You know, these can prevent infill development from meeting the economies of scale for investors. Uh, but existing surface parking lots are often the prime opportunity sites for infill. 
So local policymakers need to really take a hard look at whether the existing parking requirements are just too aggressive. There's also just that bread and butter work of civilization building that has always been the basis for new development. That's been the basis for economic development. So investing in infrastructure upgrades and streetscape enhancements at these targeted opportunity sites or in these targeted opportunity zones, that can certainly help to attract private investment. Uh, we also emphasize that tapping into existing infra infrastructure investments is also important. Policymakers need to identify sites near mass transit lines, transit-oriented development. So what about incentives? We've written quite a bit on this, and obviously we need to tread lightly here. Yeah, uh, naturally, incentives offer another means of attracting development. From the local perspective, it's certainly safer when local governments can leverage federal support. So in the report, we talk about mechanisms like opportunity zones, the new markets tax credit program, and the EPA brownfield program. Now, there's also the allure of using local tax increment financing or TIFs to attract development. And I don't want to go into the whole explanation of TIFs here. We've got reports on that on our website, utahfoundation.org. But there are obvious dangers in using public dollars to subsidize private developments. So yes, local governments should tread very lightly when spending these would-be tax dollars. But with that said, if you limit the use of TIF revenues to public asset upgrades, like publicly owned infrastructure, rather than putting it towards improving the private balance sheets, then you can reduce those dangers. There are also just kind of soft touch approaches you could take. I mean, you think about Main Street programs, your public art programs, neighborhood rebranding campaigns and events, you know, like maybe holding a festival in a target zone. These can help to create new interest and investment in the target infill areas. In some cases, maybe if you hold that festival, people are visiting that neighborhood for the first time and it's, it's sinking into their consciousness for the first time that maybe that would be a place to invest. So uh, great stuff here, Peter, a great report. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Yes, uh, just one more thing. I think, you know, if you go to create a local plan along these various lines that we've just talked about, yes, it's an important step in advancing infill projects, but it does not guarantee success. There's just, there's no replacement for predictability in, if you're a developer. Any infill plan worth its ink has to just keep that in mind. It has to be infused with clarity, that predictability, and economic realism. Okay, great. Thanks. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, Sean. This has been Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. Follow our work at utahfoundation.org.